Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. If something good happens to you, they just can barely bring themselves to be happy for you. So they might say, well, congratulations, so good for you. And then when you say, aren't you happy for me? They'll say, yeah, I said congratulations. And you say, well, you don't seem very happy. And you say, your tone didn't seem very happy. And then they act like you're the one who's crazy. You're reading things into it. You are reading tone. They turn it and shift it onto you. Like you're the one who's absolutely insane. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. All right, let's go through weird things that only narcissists do. Number one is they value the opinion of strangers over you. So even if they've known you for years, they know how smart you are, they know all of the wonderful things that you do, they know how much you've accomplished. It doesn't even matter how much you've done for them. It doesn't, whatever. Like if somebody else comes along, they'd rather the opinion of strangers over you. Do you know why? Because narcissistic supply, of course, they want like other people to think that they're so great or whatever. So it's a form of like flattery for this other person. Oh, I'm, I love your opinion, blah, blah, blah. And then the other the person goes, oh, you're so great. It's, it's like love bombing this other person by pretending like they think their opinion is so great. They don't care about the other person's opinion. It's a love bomb on the other person, just FYI. So that's that. Number two is they don't like it when you initiate sex. Very weird, right? Most everybody else wants that. They don't like that. And I have a whole video around narcissists and sex. They don't like it because it's a control thing. They want to control you. They don't like you in their space. They don't like you touching. They don't like you doing things. They don't like intimacy. It's a control thing. So they don't want you doing things like that. So most people, you know, even men, like they, they like initiation, but not narcissists. It's a very weird thing about narcissists. Don't take it personally. Don't think that there's a rejection thing going on. It's part of an overall thing that's going on. Definitely check out my video on that topic. Number three, create massive upset around holidays, birthdays, all that stuff. Definitely check out my video on why narcissists ruin holidays. I cannot take 
other people being excited about things other than them. They get super mad about that. They don't like attention about anything other than themselves. They just can't stand it. So they get agitated. They get upset. They get angry. They really can't stand it. So that's number three. Number four, this is another one that's super weird, but it's so true. They walk in front of you. Like, even if, like, there's nothing to see ahead of you or whatever, they have to walk in front of you all the time. They walk in front of you, like if you're on vacation or you're going places, they feel like they need to walk a couple of steps ahead of you. Like, even if you're not in a fight, like, no matter what, they just feel like they need to walk in front of you. It's just a very strange thing. And so you can't, like, engage in a conversation because they're, like, ahead of you all the time. So that's number four. And number five, another, this is one of the super creepy things. Super creepy is they look through your stuff when you're not around. They creep around your stuff. When you're not there, they hack into your your computer even sometimes. For sure, they do that. They look through your things when you're not around. Number five. Number six, they mirror you. They have a way of copying you, especially if they're trying to love bomb you. They think that this is like you're going to like them better. If they're if they copy you, if they finish your sentences or they dress like you, they have the same likes, if they have the same dislikes. This is how they kind of got you into their web in the first place, right? That's how they kind of got you hooked in to begin with. So that's one of the other things they do is they mirror you, they copy you. And I do have a video on this too. That's number six. Super weird, super creepy. So one of those things that you definitely see narcissists doing. The last thing, and this is just one of those things that can be so confusing for you all out there that are in romantic relationships with a narcissist, especially. And I've seen this, especially as an attorney. It's very, very frustrating for me. And that is they push you away and then, you know, they tell you that they're done and then they kind of pull you back. They don't fully let you go. They say, I'm done with you. But it's almost like, you know, that mom that has like a little bit of a shirt left, you know, of their toddler. Like they treat you horribly and then they turn around and say, but why don't you want to be in a relationship with me? I don't think you love me. What what's wrong? They're looking at them like because you're abusive and horrible. It's like this complete disconnect about how they've behaved, or maybe they think that you're going to forget about it. But that's super weird. So weird things that only narcissists do. So it's time for you to spot narcissists in less than a minute flat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. The first one is that they need to be the center of attention. Now, there's a number of different ways that they can show up as being the center of attention. It's not always, hey, look at me. 
I'm the best, I'm the brightest, you know, boasting, bragging. I used to think that that was how they always showed up. I was wrong. Believe me, when I was dealing with a covert narcissist, which was a female business partner that I had, and I've been dealing with narcissists for a long time, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I was a target of one that I really realized this and really started to be on this mission to help you. And that's when I started this YouTube channel that I really realized how horrible and heinous narcissists could be. They can show up as wanting the center of attention by presenting themselves as the victim, as poor me. Oh, life is so awful. And, you know, and then they manipulate people in that way. And that's actually way more toxic than the look how great I am type of narcissist. The type that shows themselves to be a, oh, this person wronged me or you know, I can never get my way or the type that guilts people into doing things. They're actually, I think, far worse, far stealthier, really a smarter type of narcissist. I would say smarter, but a savvier type of narcissist than the, the boasting one that everybody kind of knows and can spot more readily. So you got to be very careful about that other type of narcissist that also wants that that attention and has that need to be that center of attention, but goes about it in a different type of way. So you can spot them right away as well, but they're going about trying to get be the center of attention in a different way. They're presenting themselves as the victim. But again, they have this need to constantly be the center of attention. They're just putting themselves as the center of attention in a different way. They can also put themselves as the center of attention by immediately putting themselves the center of a crisis. Somebody is sick. Somebody is hurt. You know, they know to put themselves there right away. But you got to look to see is this person only showing up if there's sort of like a photo op or the right people are watching, you know, like, you know, they're not necessarily helping if the right people aren't watching. That's the kind of thing that I've noticed about covert narcissists as well. They, you know, they have this need to be the center of attention. Are they not helping the people in the hospital or the cancer patient or whatever if they don't think they're going to get credit for it? That sort of thing. I know that sounds horrible, but that's what really happens with these narcissists. Okay. So that's number one. And by the way, if you are negotiating with a narcissist in any sort of situation and you're trying to figure out how to do it and you're, you're not really sure what to do, I do have a free crush my negotiation prep worksheet, which you can get at crushmydeal.com. And I encourage you to get it. It's a free ebook, crushmydeal.com. The second thing that you can do that you can spot, the second way that you can spot a narcissist is, you know, they're always going to be presenting as super charming, super persuasive, especially when they want to get something. 
They really know how to mirror you. They know how to look the part of charming, persuasive. They're usually well-groomed, good-looking, well-spoken. And they usually know how to read whoever it is that they want to get something from, especially at the beginning of a relationship. You know, they, they definitely know how to turn that on. But even as the relationship goes on, as the, that bloom is coming off the rose, if you're starting to come on to them and you're starting to realize, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't even want to be in this relationship anymore. They start to go, oh, well, let me snap this person back into my life. Then they, they pull you back in by turning that charm back on, by being persuasive again, by saying the things that you want to hear. And it's also known as future faking or something like that. And even after the relationship is over, they can come back in and turn that charm back on sometimes, which is sometimes known as hoovering. They know how to turn on that persuasiveness, turn on that charm. No one is more charming or more persuasive than narcissists. Okay. So they're incredibly, incredibly persuasive and charming. So that's the second thing. The next thing is they have a huge huge sense, grandiose sense of self-importance. They believe that they're more important than anyone else. Not only do they think they're more important than anyone else, but they believe that they should be treated more importantly than anyone else. And they believe that they should be treated more specially than anyone else. That they, you know, should be the most special person in the room, that they should have special treatment. And so, you know, this is the person who will go into restaurants and expect the best table or expect, expect the best treatment or expect the best special menu, you know, send the, the steak back if it's not prepared in exactly the right way. I know for me, like I have been in situations where my husband and I have been with people who, you know, they send food back. I'm not talking about small things, but I'm talking about where they have mistreated wait staff and been talking down to wait staff and treated people in a horrible, horrible way. And I'm telling you, it is embarrassing. I was with another family one time where the, the wife actually got up and left and demanded that their entire family all leave too, just because water wasn't brought to the table exactly when she wanted it and the way she wanted it and tried to stiff the family on you know, the, the wait staff on a bill and then ended up not tipping the wait staff. I mean, it was horrible and it was horribly embarrassing. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that they do. They expect special treatment. They expect to be treated uniquely. They expect to be, you know, catered upon that sort of thing. And if they're not, then they take this as 
actual criticism sometimes, and they are extremely sensitive to criticism. So that's the next one. The next one is that they are extremely sensitive to criticism, overly sensitive to criticism, and they cannot handle being disagreed with in any way, shape, or form. Even if you're not disagreeing with them, sometimes you are actually just having your own opinion about something. But if they see this as you disagreeing with them, then it becomes this massive, huge fight. It can be embarrassing at dinner tables. It can be embarrassing at parties. And, you know, they can actually cause issues at holidays, issues at birthdays, family parties, family reunions, even if you didn't even mean anything. They're very, very easily slighted. You can be saying, I wasn't even saying anything about you. You can be saying, let's just agree to disagree. I was not even looking your direction. But a lot of times they can't handle that. You know, this is where you see incidents of road rage or whatever, because you see these people who are highly, highly sensitive. And what's going on is that narcissistic injury is being triggered. It causes this narcissistic rage to come flying out. And there it is, right? And so if you see that, you know, You've spotted a narcissist. You've spotted that narcissist in one minute or less, right? And this is one of those signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. So we are heading down through the list and we still have many more, many more signs that you are dealing with a narcissist. Okay, the next one is that they need constant, constant admiration and affirmations from others. It's like you can't say anything nice about anyone else, by the way. Like if you can just say, you could say something nice about the dog. Oh, the dog did a good job today in pet school. Did I do a good job? Did I do a good job today? You know, like they want constant affirmations, constant admiration. What about me? Did I do a good job? You know, you have to constantly be feeding that ego, that black hole that's going on inside of them. It's exhausting, quite frankly, to be around these people because you, you, you have to almost be constantly be thinking about their ego and how are they going to be taking things and how are they going to be handling it if you if you do this or if you do that and and this is what you mean about this walking on eggshell thing because if i talk to this person how are they going to perceive this or if i show up in this car how are they going to perceive that you know every single thing is is going to have to be filtered through how is this person going to be perceiving this because you have to be constantly thinking about this person's ego, right? But their need for affirmations and admiration is just 
constant. I remember one time I actually interviewed a secretary for a legal position, a legal secretary, and she flat out told me in the interview, I need lots of, of admiration. I need lots of words of affirmation. And I remember thinking, oh, Thank you for telling me straight up front because I don't want to have to be like on the hook for thinking about this all the time. Not that I don't give lots of praise to people, but I was like concerned that what if I don't give enough and this woman was going to be thinking that I wasn't giving enough and I, you know, it was like too much pressure for me. So I didn't end up hiring her just for that reason. Okay, so the next one is they're often manipulative, using, exploiting, you know, they take advantage of others, they want to use people, they're opportunists. These people see relationships as transactional. If I do something for you, what are you going to do for me? I'm not doing anything for you unless you're going to do something for me. You know, it's just everything is back and forth. You know, it's it's a using type of a relationship. I'm going to use you for whatever I can get out of you. And I'm assuming you're using me too. I'm manipulating you. You're going to manipulate me. It's a very mistrusting, distrusting type of world. And that's how they are in this world, right? It's it's difficult to be in a relationship with them. And they lack empathy. You know, they don't actually really care about people because they're just constantly in this scarcity mode, you know? I don't have enough to give. And so I can't care about you because I'm in survival mode all the time. I don't have enough to think about. You know, it's like this pain. It's like if I'm starving, I can't think about you. So that's why they don't have any empathy. This is what it is that you're dealing with when you're dealing with a narcissist. And they're jealous. They're jealous all the time because of that. You know, they just, they feel like everybody else has more. And, and so they're in this, this world of envy constantly and, and looking to see what, if somebody else has more than they do. And if they do, then they're, they're jealous of that, you know, because they believe that they should be better than everyone else. Right. The last few that I have are that they are arrogant. They can be very, very arrogant, extremely arrogant, extremely haughty, very difficult to deal with. Oftentimes they can be impulsive. They don't think about what it is that they're doing because all they can think about is right in front of their face. So what happens is that the people around them end up having to clean up their messes. You know, you end up being the responsible ones because they're just thinking about right in front of their face and and they don't think about long-term long-term issues, long-term problems and and so they end up being very very irresponsible types of people and they're preoccupied with these fantasies of success and these fantasies of what's going to happen and power and brilliance or beauty or ideal love a lot of times. 
And what I see in negotiations, by the way, is they will actually take themselves down to take you down. And that's the thing that you don't even realize, you know, by the way. I think a lot of times people are so afraid of narcissists, but they don't realize that they're actually horrible negotiators for the long term because they don't think about long term. They're actually very impulsive. They, they, they just think about how can I get this person right now? They only think in terms of black and white, good or bad. So they just want to get the person who is, they think they perceive to be the enemy, you know, so they want to take them down before they take you down or whatever, you know, you could take them down or whatever, you know, because now you're public enemy number one. And so they don't, they don't think strategically long-term the way they should a lot of times. Those are some of the the ways that you can spot a narcissist in one minute. And that's why my slay methodology actually works better on narcissists than the way they negotiate because my slay methodology is strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focus on you. You know, you are actually better at being a, a a negotiator against them than they are for themselves. So I've had to deal with narcissists. I know how horrible it can be. And specifically, I actually have had to deal with a couple of covert narcissists. And that is something that you really see a lot of mirroring in, especially with the coverts. I mean, all narcissists, they don't have any sense of self. They don't have any sense of self inside. They don't have any sense of real value inside. They kind of pick up these traits of other people wherever they go. So they kind of are almost like chameleons. And that's why at the beginning, they really seem fabulous. They seem like your soulmate. They seem perfect. And that's because they have this ability to kind of become this carbon copy of you. You know, at the beginning, it seems great. And you think you've you've found this perfect person. But it, and then it becomes kind of weird in some ways. And they do use this technique that is, is very, very manipulative because they've been studying people. The way that they have this chameleon technique, the way they know how to manipulate people so well is because they know how to read people, they study people to become the perfect person, but it's this fake routine. It's this double life that they lead because, you know, inside they're empty, they have nothing going on. Outside is this shell of a person. And by the way, I do have a whole video on why narcissists lead double lives, which you can definitely check out. And so they have this technique that involves mimicking other people's body language, other people's mannerisms and words in order to create an emotional bond with someone. It's it's their technique of love bombing you in a way. It's their technique of 
gaining control over you, it's it's a way for them to eventually manipulate you and continue to be able to manipulate you. They use it over and over again because even if they start to feel like their control is slipping, you know, once they lose control over you a little bit, you know, you start to you're on to them, you, you catch them in a lie or something like that, then they, and they need to future fake you or they need to project or deflect or whatever. It's always this constant game with them. It's You would think that it would be kind of exhausting for them, but they have to do whatever they need to do. So then they go back to the love bombing or they go back to the future faking or whatever. It's this constant thing. And so they have to go back to doing these sorts of things. And I I, you know, I, I wrote this down that mirroring was this term that was actually coined by Sigmund Freud back in the day that he used it to describe a way in which people used to their own self-image as a model for how they believed that pe- other people would see them. So for example, if someone felt like they were attractive. They would often, you know, try to be more attractive around other people by being that way too. So it was like they would mirror how other people were by being the same as the other person, the way the other person was. And and I have found that so much with the coverts in my life. You know, there was one particular covert that was in our family. My husband was like always annoyed because this particular person would like finish sentences. And oftentimes it wasn't even the way he would want to finish the sentence. And he he would find it really, really annoying. You can find out more about covert passive aggressive narcissists in my video on that topic if you'd like. The other covert narcissist in my life would oftentimes just copy everything that I would do and try to steal my ideas. I mean, a lot of times covert narcissists are sort of inherently lazy. So they would just sort of let you do all the work and try to take your ideas and pass it off as their own. So that happens sometimes too, but that's sort of something else that they do as well. But why they mirror you oftentimes is because they think that it's a way to sort of love bomb you. They think that It's a way to make them look more attractive to you so that they will eventually be able to manipulate you a way that they will eventually be able to control you. And interestingly enough, when I would tell people sometimes, you know, some of the coverts in my life would actually copy the way that I dressed, copy the way that I would talk, the way that I would look. And and if I would tell people about it, sometimes they would say, oh, isn't that flattering? You know, I mean, it was sort of stalking in a way, sort of a little bit weird. And I would find it not flattering. I would find it really strange. So anyway, that is why narcissists tend to mirror you. And in negotiations, you may see this happening as well, because you know, they're going to continue to do whatever they were doing in the past in negotiations because, you know, they've got their arsenal of tools and that's what they're going to continue to rely on even in the negotiations. So some of the the things that they were doing in the past, you may see them continuing to do in the negotiations too. 
Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase. Go to Shopify dot com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's talk about the coverts. You know, they're the ones that seem so nice to the rest of the world. I think they're the most dangerous ones because it's like these little teeny things. They're really under the radar that everybody else thinks they are wonderful. They're very good at having this plausible deniability. They're very good at saying things and doing things in a way that can be shifted or taken in a way that, oh, I, that's not what I meant. I mean, it's, it's almost extremely hard to describe to other people. I mean, even recently, I was at an event. I was the keynote speaker for the event. And somebody was asking me about, oh, you had to deal with a covert narcissist. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, yeah. And I said, I had to deal with one in business. Oh, really? What were some of the things that you had to deal with? And I said, oh, you know, I really have a hard time describing it because when I have to describe it, it never sounds all that bad because it's the things that they do are small and they mess with your mind. And it's over time and it's very abusive over time and it's death by a a thousand cuts and it's psychological. So I'm going to do these things and I want you guys to be writing things in the comments if you've seen these things. I I really want to know, okay? So here are a few. It's only because I care about you so much that I say this 
insert very underhanded put down statement about you. So here's an example. Only because I care about you so much that I'm concerned about how much weight you're putting on or how much you're drinking or how much alcohol you're consuming or something like that, or how much of a slut you're going to look like with that red lipstick on, something like that. It's psychological a lot of times. Many times they say the statement to a third party, and sometimes they do this in advance of the discard to start seed planting so that when the discard actually happens, they've planted the seed so that they can show that third party that they were right. I'm so concerned about Susie really drinking too much. She really had a lot to drink last night. I'm so concerned about her so that when the discard happens and the custody battle happens, Susie's an alcoholic. You see how that happens, but it's all under the guise of concern. And that's how the coverts come across through their, their very deep sense of care and concern. The other thing that they'll do, the other thing that they say is they'll say something that is very innocuous, that is ends up being a massive firestorm. I was in the presence of a covert narcissist who was with her stepdaughter. And she happened to say something about how she was with the, the husband, the father of the child. The stepdaughter was in her 20s and she said, oh, I've been with your dad for 20 years, whatever it was. And the stepchild got very, very upset because she realized that that meant that she had been with the father before the mother and father had broken up and was crying and upset. And the covert narcissist was, oh, that was just a mistake. It wasn't my intention. I just said the years wrong. It wasn't my intention to upset her. Obviously, I just said the years wrong. I meant these years. Clearly, it wasn't my intention to upset her. I meant this number of years, obviously. And she obviously knew the number of years, but she had that plausible deniability. It wasn't my intention to. So that's another thing that they say. It wasn't my intention to. They know exactly what they're doing, but they say things like that. And that's why it's they're so difficult to pin down because many times they seem so nice and so kind. And these are the people that are out there that they're humanitarians, they're doing things for the world. They're oftentimes clergy or doctors or, and people think, 
Well, obviously, it must have been a mistake. It was inadvertent. But you know that it's not. You know that it was absolutely not a mistake. Another thing that they do is they'll say, oh, I must have misunderstood. I said this wrongly or I must have misunderstood. It's all gaslighting. It's meant to make you crazy, but it's not. Lots and lots of passive aggressive behavior. It's all very, very passive aggressive. Or they might say something like, oh, it must be so nice. It must be so nice to have it like this, something like that. And I do have much more on this in my video called The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist, which you are certainly welcome to check out because I had to deal with two of these in my life, one of which I've been able to cut out completely, thank God. The other one is a family member. So we've put up very, very steel boundaries as much as we can. The other thing that they do is they'll do passive aggressive things like, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Something like that. Another thing that they'll do is they'll make a comment and then they'll say, oh, I was just joking. Or they'll add ha to the to the end of the statement. And you know that they weren't necessarily joking. Another one that I've seen personally is they're extremely jealous. So if something good happens to you, they just can barely bring themselves to be happy for you. So they might say, well... Congratulations. So good for you. And then when you say, aren't you happy for me? They'll say, yeah, I said congratulations. And you say, well, you don't seem very happy. And you say, your tone didn't seem very happy. And then they act like you're the one who's crazy, you're reading things into it, you are reading tone. They turn it and shift it onto you, like you're the one who's absolutely insane. I said I was really happy for you. I I couldn't have said it even better. I, I warmly congratulated you. You know, so then you just don't even bother. And then you start, maybe you are crazy. Maybe you, then maybe you start to feel guilty. There's all of that as well. But you know, deep down inside that they really didn't seem all that happy for you. Or maybe they do seem jealous, something like that. The other thing that they are very, very good at is they're extremely skillful at saying kind of two things at once, at at being able to kind of give a compliment and a put down all at once. It's kind of crazy how good they are at sort of saying something like your home, your brand new home is so beautiful. Oh, it's too bad. It's on the water where you're going to have so many issues with mosquitoes or wow, you've lost so much weight. It's too bad you're going to have so much issue with uh, sagging skin though, right? What, what a bummer about that. You know, something like that or or coded language. It's so great about your promotion, but what a bummer about 
the uh, amount of driving you're going to have to do, huh? I mean, just, I don't know. They, they're, they're very, very good. I'm not even <laughs> as good at even coming up with the examples as they are at, at it because they're so, so good at being able to kind of give you a compliment and also a put down at the same time and having that plausible deniability and and saying things in a way that their target knows was a put down at the same time they'll say something you know where they can actually say something to you and oh what was the name of that again and that they know was why wouldn't you remember that kind of a thing which you know was meant to be a put down to you or they'll bring a gift to you and you know that that was meant to be a message to you and to the rest of the world oh that was nice they brought a gift and to you you know that that's a message those are the kinds of things that covert narcissists do and say they are the worst as many of you know they're the ones that i disdain and detest the most in a lot of ways but it also means that there are definitely ways that you can handle them i've given you lots and lots of ways that you can actually work with them in a very powerful way as far as negotiating with them as well. Definitely handle them. You can definitely negotiate with them in a powerful way. Okay, so they are constantly with their phones and they have very, very weird, suspicious phone habits these narcissists. And so I want to share their secretive behavior five habits that they have when it comes to their phones so that you can spot this behavior and see what's going on and understand what's happening. And that way you can kind of see it and spot it ahead of time. And your antenna can be going up when you see it. All right, so number one is you'll see that they're extremely secretive. You'll see that they'll never give you access to their phone and they'll never give you the passcode to it. So when you see this happening, you know, mm -mm, yeah, there's something definitely going on, right? So extremely secretive, they don't give you access to it. They don't give you the passcode to it. You never know what the passcode is. And they may even be changing that passcode constantly to it. So even if you did know it at one point, you don't know it now. So, so like maybe you saw it over their shoulder at one point. Oh, you saw it was 1825 or whatever it was. And now all of a sudden it's something different because they're extremely secretive about it and they never give you access to it. All right. So that's number one. Remember, I'm going to number five here. That's number one. Number two is that they are super glued to those phones. I mean, so glued to those phones. You can never hardly even get near those phones, right? I mean, not only do you not have access to the passcode to them, but they're so glued to those phones. They take those phones with them everywhere. I mean, even to, into the bathroom, 
when they're going to take a shower. I mean, you don't get near those phones to barely even have a chance to take a look at them anyway. Even if you did know the passcode or the passwords to them, when would you have a chance to even use them? Because those phones are so glued to them. They're so, they're almost like a part of their body. So you don't get a chance to go near them anyway. Right. I mean, some of them even like sleep with them under their pillows. Right. I mean, so you, you don't get a chance to even go near those phones. So that's number two. Number three is to hide their behavior to hide what's going on. Maybe it's to hide affairs or to hide who they're talking to or whatever. They turn off their text notifications. You know, so most of the time people will have like text notifications that'll pop up even when there's a lock screen on so that, you know, you can see what's going on. Like, oh, I see I got a text, right? And you can even read the text even if the phone is locked. They'll turn off those notifications so that that doesn't pop up so that nobody can read a text if the phone is away from them for some reason so that no one can see what's going on so that the texts and things and notifications don't pop up if the phone happens to be locked and away from them. All right. So that's another thing. So they'll turn off the notifications so that the notifications don't appear on the lock screen. And they just, you know, they're super, you know, suspicious with it. You know, they'll, they'll grab it right away. They'll act kind of funny with it. When it does happen to pop up, they'll grab it immediately and they won't let you near it. And, you know, they do act suspicious in this way, which is how they end up telling on themselves a lot of times if they are engaging in behavior that they shouldn't. And I do have a whole video on how narcissists tell on themselves. And you definitely may want to check that out if you think that there's something going on. So it's called How Narcissists Tell on Themselves. Definitely check that out. I have a whole video on how they tell on themselves. All right. And so number four, number four is that they're constantly erasing all their history. So even if you do get near their phone, even if they you somehow have their passcode, you somehow get near their phone, you somehow get into their phone, all of a sudden you see everything is gone. They have no text history, they have no history in, you know, their search history for their internet. Everything is erased all the time, which is super I think suspicious because everybody usually has you know, their text messages there or their emails there. Or, you know, you can see their history of their browsing or whatever. Everything's always erased for them. So that's something else that is super weird, super suspicious for narcissists. They delete their logs, they delete all their messages, their browsing history. Everything's always deleted regularly. And that's something else that I find very, very suspicious. And the last one that I've got for you today is that their phone is always on silent mode. You know, it's everywhere you can, it rings. And sometimes it's not even on vibrate. It's just on silent completely so that there's like no notification whatsoever. It just nothing pops up at all so that 
if, if anybody's near them, you just don't even get any kind of a pop-up or they don't get any kind of a pop-up. So nobody gets to see you whatsoever that they're getting any kind of an incoming anything. So those are definitely the ones for sure that I've seen weird, suspicious phone habits of narcissists. There's all kinds of other ones too, where they might have even downloaded apps that they use to communicate, or some of them don't even have any apps on their phones whatsoever. I mean, there's all kinds of other ones, but those are the main five that I've seen. So there's one particular trait that everybody overlooks, but there are several traits that everybody knows about with narcissists. So I'm going to just go through the ones that everybody knows about, the ones that they think of when they think of narcissists. And then at the end, I'm going to let you know what the one is that everybody overlooks when they look at traits of narcissism. Number one, shamelessness. So narcissists tend to be openly shameless. Like they'll just go and do whatever they want. I mean, there's just certain things that narcissists do that I just am so surprised by. You know, I knew a narcissist one time who would just come into our law office and just come right behind the desk and come right into one of our offices and not even ask. And, you know, I find myself with narcissists sometimes thinking, wow, I would never do that. I mean, there's just certain things that I would never do that narcissists end up doing. So, but but they're just completely shameless in that way. So another trait of narcissism is entitlement. So they feel entitled to anything. They think that they should have the best seat in the house, the best restaurant, the best this, the best that. They should have the the, the best spot um, in you know a show or something. If they're in a show, it, you know whatever it is, they should be the best. They should have the best. And you know even if they're not um, entitled to it, even if it's not something that uh, they earned or something that they're even qualified for. They don't care about that. It's just like they should have it. So um, entitlement and also shamelessness, they're kind of like two little hands that fit together, but um, you know, slightly different, but definitely they're shameless and they feel entitled. So the next one is magical thinking. This is where they just keep going. They don't even look at the path of destruction that they've created. They, they don't really care. They just just imagine the world and look at the world and interact with the world in the way that they want to see it. So it it, it can really definitely be difficult when you're negotiating with a narcissist in that sense. And because, you know, you give an offer, they come back with a counter offer, you go back with an offer that incorporates some of the things that they've already, you know, agreed to. And now all of a sudden they say they never agreed to that or, and that sort of thing. It's, it's all this magical thinking. It's part of the gaslighting and it's just how they think. They just, um, live in their own form of reality. Another trait that they have is envy. They're often very jealous of people. They're very jealous of other people's accomplishments. They can't really congratulate people or be happy for people. They feel like life isn't fair. How come they 
they got it. I should have it. Um, they don't really like when somebody else is getting attention that they feel like they should have. Um, they're just very, very jealous. Sometimes they're jealous of people that they don't even know. Like they'll be watching something on TV and think, oh, why does that person have that? And why does, you know, who, th- who do they think they are? You know, I mean, they're just jealous and, and envious in all different facets, including, of course, in their own personal relationships. It comes from this place of lack. They are not abundance thinkers. They are scarcity thinkers. So, you know, if anybody has anything else, they don't think that, oh, I could do that too, or I could have that too, or how, how great for them. You know, that's their thing. That's something that's wonderful for them. It has nothing to do with me. They, don't, they definitely do not think that way. It's very much a jealous, envious, small-minded way of thinking. Okay, so the next one, and we're leading up to the one that most people overlook, is exploitation. They're users. They like to use people. They, every single person is looked upon as, what can I use? What can I get? You know, Why am I even going to be talking to you at all? They're always sizing people up to see if they are going to be a good form of supply for them. And if you want to know more about narcissistic supply, check out my video on narcissistic supply. But supply is anything that feeds their ego. And you definitely um, are going to be looked upon by a narcissist in terms of what can you do for them. It's never uh, reciprocated, by the way. It's like just to be in their space at all, you better be doing something for them. And if you want something out of them, then you better be ready to reciprocate like a hundred thousand fold. And even that's not good enough. Like you're supposed to do it all for them. And the next one that you normally hear about is lack of boundaries. And that is, you know, narcissists just do whatever they think they want. You know, they just go wherever they want. They look through people's stuff. They will open people's mail. They will go into people's closets. They will show up places that they're not supposed to show up. You know, they have no boundaries because they feel entitled. And, you know, it all kind of gels together into a toxic stew of of yuck. But that's one of the things that they also have is no boundaries. But the last one is the one that's most overlooked. And that is that narcissists have no sense of self. They feel very small inside. That's the not so secret secret. They feel inside like nothing. They have a very fragile sense of self. So all of those other traits, the ones that people see, the ones that people identify with the most, the ones that they use, that psychologists and psychiatrists use to determine if somebody's actually narcissistic, are actually all things that they layer on so that they can hide the fact that they have no sense of self themselves. And so they they make it look like the Wizard of Oz, and they they build all this stuff around them to hide the fact that they are feeble, small, scared, and that you are actually the stronger one. And that's the thing that I really want you to understand when you're negotiating with them. You actually, the, the, the biggest scam in the world is that they have you thinking that you're the one who's weaker. 
they're actually the weaker one. I personally have also dealt with two covert narcissists, and I am on a mission to help you break free from the drama, trauma, and chaos of dealing with narcissists. I know what it looks like when they're trying to break you down because I've been there. I've seen it in my law practice. I've seen it in dealing with now thousands of people who've come through my programs. And I've also dealt with it in my personal life. I know what they're, what they're trying to do when they're trying to break you. So one of the things that they will do is they will like, Take these like passing swipes at you. So especially the covert narcissists, they are kings and queens of these like passing little swipes. So these are like when the narcissists aren't actually out to tell the world that they're trying to break you down. They're just trying to like dent you. It's kind of like death by a thousand cuts. You know, covert narcissists are so stealth. They don't want anybody to know. So it's like, I call it clean hands. Okay. They kind of try to keep their hands clean, you know, their nose clean. They don't want anyone to know what they're up to. Their their clothes are clean. Everything is not wrinkled, but right underneath the surface, they're doing this dirty work. Everybody else thinks that they are wonderful. They're kind. They are so many people go, well, they couldn't be a narcissist. They are pastors. They are charitable people. They they they're out there doing habitat for humanity every single weekend. They're organizing fundraisers. They work at the hospital. They're the first people that show up when somebody is sick. They are wonderful people. They're not a narcissist. Or or this person is an older woman who is kind and bakes cookies. This is not a narcissist. This is the kind of person who just underneath the surface has this boiling sort of rage, this 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 jealousy or competition or or deep insecurity or something going on with them that has them take these sort of passing swipes of people that just under the surface you don't realize what's going on. So they might say things like, oh, that's so wonderful that you got to purchase a new home. Oh, but too bad it's at the end of a street where there's no street lights and you're so far away from everything else. And, you know, there's no security. I mean, wouldn't you be afraid? And, you know, I, I would be afraid out there by myself like that. But, you know, to each their own, you know, like it's sort of like a compliment, but not really. It's like these passing swipes. Or I had a client 
who said that she got back together with her her husband and her husband was like all gung-ho with marriage counseling, work on their marriage, and he was going to be the perfect husband and he loved her and he was working on everything. And just a couple of months into it, they were getting ready to go out and just out of nowhere, he, under his breath, said something like, mm, lipstick. Nothing else, just said lipstick under his breath. That's a passing swipe. And she was like, what? What, what did you say? And he said, no, I didn't say anything. And the implication, she knew. She knew what he meant by lipstick. It was meant to tell her that she looked like a slut, that she looked a hussy because it was this red lipstick or whatever it was. And all he said was lipstick. And so there's this clean hands effect, right? Because if she told anybody about it, he could say, oh, I was saying I liked her lipstick. I was saying it looked nice on her. What, what is she talking about? I was actually complimenting her and saying how great she looked. No one would be able to know. There's no other context there. So that's what I mean, passing swipes. Six signs a narcissist is trying to break you. That's number one. Number two is gaslighting. Passing swipes is a form of gaslighting, but this is another whole level. They use gaslighting. So, you know, I could actually sit here and spend the next two days basically on all the different forms of gaslighting that there are and how narcissists use gaslighting in all the different varieties and forms. And there could be whole connoisseurs of gaslighting and vintners of wine on gaslighting. I mean, there could be a whole school of gaslighting. But we're not going to do that. I'm just going to say the gaslighting is a way that narcissists use to make you think that you're crazy. And if I explain to you where the term came from, it makes it really, really easy for you to understand. Basically, it came from a play called Gaslight, which is also the name of a movie from the same genre period, was back in the 30s, which was where a husband was trying to make the wife think that she was crazy. And what he would do is blow out these gaslights. And she would say, wasn't that just lit? And he would say, no, no, it wasn't. And it made her question her own mind. Wait a minute, I'm pretty sure that was just lit. No, 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 sorry, wasn't wasn't lit. So gaslighting is the same thing. It's like trying to make you think that you're crazy. Things that you are seeing, you're not seeing. Things that you're hearing, you're not hearing. You see a text message that says, miss you with hearts from a person. And you're assuming that there's something going on with somebody. And they say, oh, you're reading too much into it. That sort of thing. The person says, oh, you know, you have a big fat butt. 
And then they say, ha ha. And you say, you know, that really hurt my feelings. And they say, oh, you're too sensitive. You know, they're invalidating your feelings. That's gaslighting. Oh, I'm going away on the weekend of our anniversary. Oh, when when did you decide you're doing that? Oh, we had a whole conversation about that. Don't you remember? Oh, we never had that conversation. Oh, oh, yeah, we definitely did. And you agreed to it. Oh, I definitely don't remember ever having that conversation. Oh, yeah, we had, a, we had a whole conversation about it and you agreed. Well, we never had that conversation. That's all gaslighting. All of that is a form of gaslighting. There's so many different forms of gaslighting, but all of them boil down to trying to make you think that you're crazy. Okay. Thing you just need to remember about gaslighting is if you saw it with your eyes, if you heard it with your ears, if you, you know, all of those things, then it happened and your feelings matter. There's that. Number three is passive aggression. You know, another way a narcissist tries to break you is through passive aggression. Absolutely, I will do it. And then they don't. That's a passive aggressive move. Covert narcissists are so great at this. It's one of their classic moves. Being passive aggressive is a very narcissistic move. Number uh, four is silent treatment. They will blow up your phone. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. You write them back. Oh, nothing. And then you're like, hey, where are you? Oh, why are you so needy? You know, that's a form of silent treatment. Or another form of silent treatment that you might see with a narcissist is, you know, how how come you did this, 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 and this? And then you write back and you're defending yourself. You know, that's not true. I'm here with my sister and whatever it is. And then you're trying to get them to respond back to you. Nothing. And you know that they're reading your emails and you or text messages and you know they're right there, but then they don't respond because they're trying to make you score. Things like that. Silent treatment, okay? To try to manipulate you, make you squirm, control you, all of those, make you think that you're crazy, all of that. That's silent treatment. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. Every single time you try to bring something up, they project and deflect. They're like the ducks with the feathers, with the with the rain. It just doesn't end up on them somehow ever at all. Again, it falls on you, right? Ten signs are playing you for the full because it ends up falling on who? Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Spiritually, I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free from Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this.
Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I think the first thing that, that people need to do is to seek out a trusted attorney. That's that's the first thing. I mean, you should you know, consult several attorneys, speak to other people who have gone through divorces, see who they recommend, look online and see what kind of reviews an attorney has, look at their LinkedIn, see what articles they've published, what's their point of view, all of those types of things. And then you need to understand that the law, particularly, I don't know about every state, but I do know it was certainly in New York, the non-moneyed spouse does have the protections. And now we return to today's show. The next thing that they will do is attack you. You're a cheater. You're this, you're that, which is you know, like out of nowhere, you're like, oh my God, I, how can that, why would you say that? And then when you try to defend yourself, then they play the victim. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would do this to me. And I can't believe you would do this to me now. And this is a horrible time. And, you know, it it becomes all about them. They attack and then they play the victim. Again, it's a way to make themselves out to be the victim so that you never, ever can win. You can never win. They attack and then they reverse it so that they become the victim. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash negotiate. And then finally, the last one is they use guilt trips. Oh, don't worry about me. I'll just sit over here and you just go on. I'll, I, I can take care of myself while you go have a life. You know, I'm used to things not being there. I'm used to taking care of everyone while no one takes care of me. Must be nice to have all of that for yourself. I've never had that, but okay, great. You know, like that whole guilt trip thing. That's very much a covert narcissist move as well. And so they guilt you into having to do things, you know, or they'll send a text like, oh, that wasn't meant for you. Sorry. I was waiting to get my biopsy results, but I know you don't care. So I'll just handle it myself. I'm fine. That sort of thing. 
So guilt trips. Those are six of the signs that a narcissist is trying to break you. And as I said, with the gaslighting one, just that alone can cause so much long-term damage to your psyche and even to you physically and start to cause you know, autoimmune issues with you because into your gut health and to your your overall health because of how much damage it can cause. The hidden habits of a covert narcissist are that number one, their public persona is very different than their private persona. They look very different on the surface than who they actually are. It's very shocking when you start to realize because you just start to have this sense, but you kind of feel like you're going crazy when you start to suspect things because, you know, everybody else thinks that they're wonderful and, and they still seem so wonderful when you're dealing with them, but things aren't adding up. It, you know, it's just sort of like they're passive aggressive. They agree to do things. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I, of course I'll do that for you. And then, then they don't. And, and you're asking them about it again. Oh, of course I'll get to that. Yes. And then they don't. You're so like, what's going on, you know? And money issues, you know, they didn't put the money in the right place. And why didn't they? Or they say they're going to get something from the store and then they don't. And, you know, and you would just wonder like, what is going on? You know, like, oh, could you get the tickets and I'll pay, I'll make sure to pay you back. And then they, then they don't, or they say they're going to call when they're supposed to, but then they don't. And, oh yeah, I just, you know, I didn't get to that, but you know, they still seem like they're so nice. So you, you just think like, maybe it's inadvertent or maybe I'm reading too much into this or, you know, it's, it's very, very subtle, but then it just keeps happening and things are not the way they seem, but you know, their public persona is very, very different because they're just very passive aggressive. So that's number one. Number two is they express rage and then they deny their anger. It's just like this this surface thing that's happening and then, oh, I'm not angry. You know, I mean, it's just like they, they seem like they're angry, but then they, oh, I'm not angry. And so you just constantly think like you're the one that's going crazy all the time because it's just right underneath the surface, this constant sort of competition and smiling but it's just this plausible deniability is happening all the time where everything they say or everything they do doesn't really quite come back to them, you know? So the things that they will say and the things that they will do don't quite come back to them. You know, they might pit people against each other or they might say things such as, you know, oh, I can see that you've lost weight, 
but oh, too bad about the stretch marks or they withhold information. Oh, I meant to tell you that. Oh, it just slipped my mind. Little things like that. But you, when you go to tell somebody about it, they go, well, I'm sure that it was inadvertent, you know, but it just stacks up, stacks up, stacks up that sort of thing. Number three is they'll express criticism and make it sound like concern. You know, Tim, he was drinking a lot last night and I um just so worried. I'm so worried about him. I just am so concerned about his drinking, you know? You know, they might say it in a context of a custody situation where it's long before the divorce has even started. But then, you know, six months later, when the divorce actually happens, then they can say, I I did mention to you about the drinking and, you know, I'm just concerned. I'm really just concerned for the children, you know? I'm sure that you'll testify on our behalf because, you know, for the children, you know, because Tim is, is an alcoholic. You know, and Tim probably isn't an alcoholic. Tim probably just drinks like a normal person, but they say things in these ways that make it sound like they're just concerned, you know, so they express criticism, but they make it sound like concern. You know, those are the kinds of things that they'll do. The next thing that they will do is they will often play the victim when they're attacked. If you will say anything at all to them, like how come the money is missing from this particular account? Or why haven't you done what you said you're going to do yet? Or something like that. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're questioning me. Or my sister died and I can't believe that you would question my integrity or why would you bring that up now? And, you know, they play the victim, they start crying or something. They they totally shift it so that they're the victim when they're attacked. All of that, like they're always the victim. Covert narcissists are excellent at being the victim and getting everybody else to think that they're the victim. I mean, that is the one thing about covert narcissists that they're very, very good at, and that's being the victim. And then number five, of course, because they are narcissists, they have a lack of empathy because narcissists are narcissists. So of course, they don't have empathy, just like all narcissists don't. And they use their guilt and shame to control others. The coverts are usually always playing the victim. So they try to make other people feel guilty. You know, I can't believe you would do this to me. You know, it must be nice for you to have what you have. I never had it like that. I never got anybody to do things. 
you know, or, oh, that's really great for you. Oh, you know, congratulations, you know, that you get to do that. I'll just sit over here. You know, nobody ever appreciates me. Uh, nobody ever, you know, acknowledges all the things that I do for everybody, you know, and, you know, so they, they do things like that. That's the kinds of things that a, a, a covert narcissist will say. So they'll do things for people, but then they expect like a lot in return and they have a lack of empathy for others and for what others are doing for them. So those are the kinds of hidden habits that you guys uh, might see in covert narcissists. Really, really difficult to be in a relationship with a covert narcissist. They will drive you into the ground. You, they will su suck the life out of you. They will suck your soul dry. I have been there. I have so been there. And it is absolutely painful, ruthless, and you will be up at night and feeling so drained. There's no doubt about it. The reason I am on this mission is because I haven't had to deal with covert narcissists, the subject of today's video. I've had to deal with them in a business setting, one of them in a business setting and one in my extended family. I had never even heard the term covert narcissist before until somebody pointed it out to me. And I remember when we were having this conversation, the, the person who pointed it out to us pointed it out to my husband and me first. And they were like, oh, that, that person, that family member that you're dealing with is a covert narcissist. And I remember I was like, covert narcissist. I never even heard that term before, but I remember thinking, oh, I don't think she's a narcissist. I mean, a narcissist to me was like a boastful, bragging, you know, super egotistical, usually a male, like to me, it was always a male. I mean, it had never occurred to me, number one, that a narcissist could be a female. And by the way, the person who was calling this person a narcissist happened to be a psychologist. I was like, I don't think she's a narcissist pretty sure she's just like really insecure. And he was like, okay, you know what? Let it be a hypothesis. And if I'm wrong, I guess you'll know it. And if I'm right, you'll know it too. The facts and circumstances will bear it out. And of course he was hundred percent right. But as time went on and I started to read and learn much more about it, I started to really figure it out. And so you know, there's so much that goes into a covert narcissist. But, you know, my hypothesis is that I think women do tend to be more the covert kind because women want to be more under the radar. You know, they tend to want to be, you know, they want to look nice. They want to look kind. I mean, but I don't know. I think that there are a lot of male covert narcissists too. You know, they're the ones that nobody suspects like the world thinks that they're so fantastic they're so charismatic they're the world thinks they're wonderful so anyway here are some strange behaviors of covert narcissists i mean number one is that they're super passive aggressive their words do not match their actions 
So they're like super kind and, and absolutely, I will do that for you. Absolutely. I will get right back to you on that. And then you don't hear from them or, you know, I will, I definitely want to make sure that you were taken care of. And then they don't. And so you're left like so confused all the time. And, 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 you know, do I force them on that? Do I ask them about that? And does this make me a bad person? Cause they're so nice. And then here you are the one like, Am I being passive aggressive? Am I being the one that's problem? It seems very strange because they seem so nice. So it's kind of a strange behavior because they seem so nice, but it's actually not strange if you get to know who they are as a covert narcissist. So that's number one. Number two is they value the opinions of strangers over family. I mean, and this is something that my husband and I have seen with the covert narcissist uh, that we've had to deal with in our family situation. You know, this particular person who shall not be named definitely values the opinions of strangers over family. It can be painful uh, unless you realize and just accept that that's who they are, that they are narcissists. And that's what narcissists do. They are seeking that external praise. They're seeking that narcissistic supply. And that's the very strange thing about narcissists. They they kind of take for granted the opinions or the supply that they're getting within their inner circle. They don't I don't really care about the supply that they already have. That's just sort of a given. They want the supply that they're getting externally. For some reason, that means more to them than the supply or the validation that they can get from the people who actually love them, from the people who actually care about them or actually value them. Um, they prefer to get it from other people that they don't even know. But that's how it is. It doesn't really make any sense, but that is very strange. Um, and so that's number two. Number three, and I will never really get over number three, to be honest with you. Um, both of the covert narcissists that I had to deal with did this uh, with me. And I found it very odd very weird, very super creepy. And that is that they stare at you. I actually did a whole video on this just because I really couldn't stand it. My whole video is called Why the Narcissist is Always Watching You. You know, both of the narcissists I, I had to deal with, I, I would find like would be staring at me, watching me. They do, they stalk your social media, they check out what you're doing. You know, I would find that they would like copy me, watch what I was wearing, copy that. And, and you know, some people would be like, who don't understand narcissism, they'd be like, oh, but that's so flattering. That's so, you know, that's so nice that they would like want to be like you or something. But no, like those of you who understand narcissism, like, you know, that it's not, flattering. It's like the creepy kind. Actually, recently I had dinner with another couple who 
happened to let me know that one of the narcissists that I had to deal with that I've completely cut out of my life, not the family member one, but the other one, let me know that there was like some like buddy who was in touch with somebody else that, you know, sort of like, like this fringe sort of uh, in touch that like there's that like narcissist that's still like trying to poke their head through to try to get through the boundaries that I've created. I mean, very sad. But, you know, from my own growth perspective, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't really feel any emotion about it. So it was actually good. It was like a little test for me because when I heard about it, I was like, that is so, so pathetic. I actually found myself feeling like nothing. So I was, I was glad about that. So that's number three. Number four is they're super weird about gift giving. You know, they kind of like don't really want to give gifts. They like, oh, here you go. And there's like ties against it. They don't really like to give gifts. Um, I do have a video on that too, by the way, if you want to check it out. But, you know, narcissists, there's always like strings. They don't like to give gifts, really. There's always uh, something involved with the gifts. So that's number four. Number five is... They're chameleons, you know, like they're kind of one way with one group and one way with another group and one way with this person and another way with that person because, you know, they whatever color they are with this person, they might be a different color with a different person because, you know, they don't have a sense of self, right? Because they're a narcissist. So that's number five. Number six, ugh. This is actually another little sore spot for me because this is something I had to deal with in my business setting kind of situation. Anyway, they definitely take credit for your ideas. Yep, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, did not like that. But they do that. They definitely like to take credit for your ideas because they don't have any ideas of their own. Yes. Because, you know, they are energy vampires. That's part of what they do. They suck the energy out of you. And if you know this to be true, give me an energy vampires in the comments below. Come on, say it with me. Energy vampires. Yes, they are. All right. And number seven, number seven. This is another little catchy little tune that the coverts like to play. This is another little strange behavior of theirs, which is they act like they're strong. I'm so strong. I'm so good. But then they also like to play the victim. Very strange, very weird. They want to play like they're strong. They're so good. But then they also... Oh, they played me. I can't believe they did that to me. I'm so weak. The whole passive aggressive thing, part of the whole covert thing. I'm so nice, but I'm also, you know, like again, knives under me, you know, so warm over here, but there's ice in my blood. Yes, indeed. So anyway, those are the seven top strange behaviors of covert narcissists. The one that I personally detest the most because I've had to deal with them. 10 signs that the narcissist is playing you for a fool. Ready? Let's go. Number one, they constantly don't do what they say they're going to do. Does this happen to you? They say that they're going to do something and then 
They just don't bother. This is classic covert narcissist stuff, passive aggression. I know I dealt with it before because I had a narcissistic business partner. They smile and they say, sure, I'll do it. And then where is it? When are they doing it? And then you feel bad because you're not saying... Where is it? You know, and then how many times you want to have the fight or say something to them, and then everybody else thinks they're so nice. They just don't do what they say they're going to do. What are you going to do about it? How many times you want to have the fight, right? And then, or or it's project and deflect. Oh, I never said that. I never said I was going to do exactly that. You misheard me. That's not what I said I was going to do. Oh, yes, it was. No, um, I said I was going to do this. It's a game, right? This constant game. That's number one. They just constantly don't do what they say they're going to do. They're irresponsible. Project, deflect, lie, deny. And then who does it fall to? Who ends up having to clean up the mess? Who ends up ending having to do the things that they didn't end up doing that they said they were going to do. Well, that would be you probably, of course, right? I know for me, when I was in, when I was dealing with narcissists on a regular basis, it would end up being me because the non-narcissists end up cleaning up the mess and picking up the slack, unless you've got good boundaries. That's what one of the things that I teach have good boundaries. Step one, don't run, have good boundaries. Yes. Number two, every time you try to pick, uh, bring up a problem, they project and deflect. That brings me to number two, right? Project and deflect. You try to bring up a problem. That's not me, wasn't me. Let's not talk about this now. Why are you bringing this up now? I just got home. I'm tired. This isn't a convenient time. Uh, this wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's fault. That wasn't what we talked about. It's never exactly... Somehow they're like Teflon and it just doesn't end up being on them. Um, you're too loud. You interrupted. You know, It's just always something. I don't feel well. I had a funeral. Somebody in my family died. There's always something, right? Every single time you try to bring something up, they project and deflect. They're like the ducks with the feathers, with the with the rain. It just doesn't end up on them somehow ever at all. Again, it falls on you, right? Ten signs are playing you for the full because it ends up falling on who? That's number two. Number three. Number three, narcissist constantly finds fault with you and never takes responsibility for themselves. It's always your fault, your problem, you're the one. And what's crazy is like if they have a problem at work, they have a problem with other people, they get fired from their job, whatever it is, it's always your fault, your problem, you're the one who causes all the issues in their lives. It's never on them. They never have to take responsibility for anything that ever happens in their lives. It's always you. 
you're the one that caused it. In fact, if they have problems with their ex, if they have problems with their kids, with their ex, whatever, it's always your fault somehow. That's number three. Number four, the narcissist tells you that everyone else thinks that they are wonderful. They're amazing. But you are the problem. Have you heard this before? Everyone else says, but you are everyone. This collective everyone. You don't know who everyone is, but somehow everyone says that blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they do this so that you somehow feel small and you're supposed to believe that they've got this army of flying monkeys that have aligned with them so that you are in control and feel isolated and feel scared to stand up to them or scared to do anything. That's why they say those kinds of things. It's not true. It's not true. You know, just like they they say things to scare you. You know, I know as an attorney, many times people have come into my office and have said things that are just flat out not true. Like, I'm going to be able to take your kids from you forever. And I'm going to take the house from you. And I'm going to take all the assets. And that's just so not true because that's not what the law provides. The law provides for an equal division of assets or probably 50-50 custody or whatever it is. But, you know, they say these things, they make these threats, and, and they're just simply not true. So this everyone else, you know, thinks blah, 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 is usually just a bunch of CRAP and you just need to not listen to it. All right. That's number four. Number five, the number five sign that the narcissist is playing you for a fool is that the narcissist has this attitude like everything in the relationship should be your job and everything in the relationship should be optional for them. So, you know, like basically they show up and get to do things, you know, if they want to, but you have to do everything. It's all like mandatory for you. So you're just kind of like, the person who is like their servant and they just kind of show up when they want to and do things if they want. And, but then of course they take credit for everything and you're not supposed to get any thanks or acknowledgement or be at all, you know, any sort of gratitude or anything like that, but it's just expected, right? So, and that actually kind of leads me to number six, which is the narcissist doesn't want to have to acknowledge anything that you have done for them. It's all just expected. It's basically kind of like the price for being in their space. Because they're just so amazing and so special that you're supposed to just sort of work for them, be their 
um, servant, their janitor, their, you know, whatever. And, you know, the price for being in their space is just that. It's just sort of like the bare minimum for being in their space. All right. And then number seven is that they, in, re- in reciprocal, do just the bare minimum back for you. So if you're in a romantic relationship with them, they'll do very bare minimum as far as gifts for you, you know, at the last second, or they kind of begrudge having to buy a gift for you. Or if they do, it's something that's sort of for themselves too, or something like that. They really sort of resent the fact that they have to do anything for you at all. They will, but they really don't want to have to. We're in 10 signs that the narcissist is playing you for a fool. So number eight, number eight, the the narcissist lies or withholds information from you and then denies it. So when you go and ask them about whether or not they have lied or denies information, they were like, oh, I told you about that or I wasn't denying it. I It was right there in the open. You know, you could have found that out or I was doing this, you know, all along, you know, like they totally deny it. They totally lie about it, even though they were lying right to your face you know or with or withholding information right to your face you know they lie or withhold information and then they deny it okay so that's number 8 number 9 the narcissist did not have your back they don't support you when you need it but they expect you to have theirs at all times it's a constant one way street feeling. But yet they'll say to you, I have your back. I'm your biggest fan. But yet you know that they don't. You know that they don't show up for you. One single slight against them and they go ballistic. They expect you to have blind loyalty for them. So that's number nine. And number 10 The number 10 sign that a narcissist is playing you for a fool is when you get ready to leave, they'll say whatever they need to keep you, but then they'll pull you back, but then they push you away all the time, constantly. I want you to leave. I want to get out of here. You know, if if it's a romantic relationship or a business relationship, they treat you horribly, constantly. They push you to the edge, basically make you feel like you just want to get out of there. And then when you finally do leave, they pull you back. They do whatever they can to pull you back and future fake you. Like things are going to be better, so much better in the future. You'll see. And they'll start doing all the things they should have done in the first place. And then, you know, you get sucked back in. It's this constant push pull. Constant push pull. They push you all the way, all the way to the edge, and then back in. Push pull, push pull, push pull, constantly. That's how you know they're really p- playing you for a fool, because you can't get out. 
until you finally do, right? Those are 10 signs that a narcissist is playing you for a fool. Are you ready to find out what happens when a narcissist refuses to be controlled? Yeah, it's not a pretty sight because of course, that's the one thing that they want more than anything else. You'll start to see a massive change in their behavior because, of course, what happened when you started off on this relationship, they wanted to get their grip on you. I've been in that situation myself personally. I've also seen it up close in other people as well. And when you start to loosen that grip, it's basically you're dealing with a toddler who's having a tantrum on the floor. If any of you out there have kids, you know what it's like. If I were right in front of you as a live audience, I'd say any of you out there have kids, you'd be out there raising your hand and you'd say, yeah, I've seen it, right? When you have kids and you have a toddler and you want to condition them, you know, you, you go to take something that they want. They scream, they yell, they have, they kick, they throw things, right? Because what happens? They think next time I just have to scream louder, scream longer and get more, you know, ridiculous, insane. And my parents will just give in. Right. That is what is going on with the narcissist. They just figure I'll just get even more obnoxious. And next time they'll have to give in and give me what I want. And you just have to go, "Mm, okay, I have to be stronger and, you know, become like the most strong version of myself back and realize that that's what's going on and start to look at them as if they're having a tantrum on the floor and not get pulled in, sucked in, dragged into the mud. Because when you do that, you are in the quicksand with them. You're going down and they're baiting you. They're like, they went fishing and they got a reel. They're pulling you in. What happened was at the beginning of the relationship, they started conditioning you and you have to condition them back. So what happens at the beginning? Let me start off at the beginning. So that's that's kind of the end of it. But at the beginning of the relationship, they started conditioning you. They started love bombing you. They only showed the happy face, the charming face, the nice face, right? And so they started conditioning you, love bombing you, the perfect, charming, charismatic, amazing version of themselves. And you saw that version and were amazed because you know what they were doing? They were mirroring you. You basically fell in love with yourself because they know how to become the most amazing version of whatever it is that you want. They know how to present themselves in a way that makes themselves look like whatever it is that you want. So that doesn't last very long. Then, you know, you get to that next level, which is the devaluing stage. And then you get to the whole toxic stew of what comes next. So what you're doing is I call it step one, don't run. Step two, make a U-turn. Step three, break free. So you're you're kind of now 
shifting this dynamic. You're shifting how things are going to be and they're not liking it. They're not going to like it, you know? And so it's going to be uncomfortable for you as well. You are going to have to deal with that. So the very first thing is when you start to put those boundaries in place, you're going to see a change in their behavior. They're going to light up your phone like a Christmas tree. They're going to show up at your house or office. They're going to go insane, probably, you know? They may become more needy. They may become more demanding. They may even start trying to love bomb you again right away because they might start realizing "Mm, this person is slipping away from me. And this is in a business setting or a uh, romantic setting, if you will, by the way. I saw it in a business setting. I was business partners with a narcissist and I saw it in a business setting. That's when you start to see them doing all the things that you wanted them to do in the first place a lot of times, which is highly annoying, by the way, because then you start, you know that they know what they're supposed to be doing, which is not really fun. And then they start to do something what I call future faking, which is they start to tell you everything's going to be amazing. You'll see. Don't look at all the stuff that happened in the past. The future is bright. You know, we will see how great it's going to be. And they'll promise you the moon because they don't plan to, you know, deliver on any of those promises for very long anyway. So they can say whatever it is, you know. I'll, you know, walk on water. I will fly to the moon. I will make millions of dollars. I mean, whatever it is that they need to say, because they won't be doing it anyway. I'll go to therapy, you know, whatever it is, because they don't plan to do it for very long. Okay. So that you may start to see that. And then they may start to realize that's not going to work. If they start to realize that, that's when they start to realize, okay, we're heading into discard here. And if they realize that, here's what's happening. The narcissist only sees things in black and white. So you're either for them or against them. And if you are against them, then all bets are off. You become public enemy number one. You become... I got to get you. I got to take you down before you can take them down. Okay. And what I find really fascinating is especially what happens with the covert narcissist at that point, because with the covert narcissist, that's when you start to see that mask come whipping off. And by the way, if you're starting to now try to communicate with this narcissist, you're trying to dealings with this narcissist, you're trying to text email, have responses with them. I do have a free download for you, a gift for you that you can use phrases to disarm narcissists. So you might want to grab that at this point and you can get that at disarmthenarc.com. Make sure you go to disarmthenarc.com. Free phrases for disarming the narcissist. You keep it nice and close and handy for you, disarmthenarc.com. So, you know, they may try to gaslight you at this point. They may try to make you feel like you're the one who's crazy. 
you know, what are you doing? You know, you're delusional. I didn't do anything wrong. It's you, you know, they might try to do that sort of thing. They might try to launch into some sort of a guilt thing. You know, you're breaking up the family. Why would you abandon us like this? You know, I've seen all sorts of things like that in the text messages, or they might try to scare you by making all sorts of threats that aren't necessarily true, by the way. I've seen threats like, I will take the children and you will never see them. If you leave this house, you'll, you won't get any of it. You won't get any of the business. You won't get any of the assets. You know, those kinds of threats are completely empty because the law is the law. You know, you get half the assets. You know, the law is usually on your side with regard to children. Many times in most states nowadays, it's a 50-50 kind of a thing with kids as well. Those kinds of threats are usually ridiculous and ridiculously empty also. But, you know, they may try to bully you. They may try to make unreasonable demands. They may even try to bully you into signing something right away. Do not do that. You know, they may start to do those kinds of emotional blackmail kinds of things. Then what happens next? Smear campaign. During the discard phase, this is when you start to see the birth of the smear campaign. Yeah, they start heading out to their third parties, their flying monkeys. They want to build that army against you. Is it their friends, their neighbors, their family members? It might even be your kids. So bad. I mean, the worst. But they want you to feel like the world is going to be ganging up on you. You're the only one who is going to be alone. You're the only one isolated. Everyone else is going to line up on their side. That's what they want you to think. You know, you are going to be so sorry that you made this choice. Right. They will, you know, potentially, if it's a divorce situation, they may try to file all kinds of stuff before you can file false allegations, false pleadings. They may try to punish you. You know, they may try to conflict every lawyer on the planet off the case. And depending on the level of narcissist or the types of narcissist that you're dealing with, you know, you could be dealing with some kind of something that might threaten your safety. And by the way, if you are, please make sure that you do what you need to do to get help, get support, take care of your safety, call the domestic abuse hotline if you need to. Don't put your safety in jeopardy. Never, ever, ever do that. And make sure that you are lining up support for yourself. Save the money that you need to save. You know, I always say, make sure you have a good stash of cash If you uh, look like you are going to be divorcing a narcissist, make sure you have a good stash of cash ready and available and make sure you have a good support system in place. You are definitely going to need that. So seven mind games they play that they hope that you won't figure out. The first one is the silent treatment. So now if you try to do this to them, of course, they go absolutely ballistic 
stick, especially during negotiations, right? They will show up. They literally will storm the gates. They do this to control you. And they do this, by the way, whether it's a romantic situation or a business partnership, because I was in a business partnership with a narcissist. Those of you who are out there dealing with a narcissist in a non-romantic situation, you know that this is true too. They use the silent treatment as a form of control. And what's really maddening is that they will blow up your phone. They will blow up your email. You know that thing is stuck to them like glue. You know that they never leave their phone anywhere. It's it's always right next to them. But yet they won't respond. They use it as a form of punishment and control. And it's incredibly painful. They use it as a way to make you feel isolated, to make you feel unloved, unworthy, undeserving, and to play with your mind. It's one of those games that they play that they hope you'll never figure out. So that's number one. Number two, of course, gaslighting. I mean, it's the mother of all the things that they do. It's a huge form of emotional abuse. I don't even have enough time in this video. I could sit here all day and go into all the forms of gaslighting that they go into. I mean, all the types of narcissists use this, you know, malignant, grandiose. It doesn't matter the type of narcissist that we're talking about. They all use gaslighting as a form of emotional abuse. But really what gaslighting is in its purest form, it's a way of making you question your reality. That's what gaslighting is. It's basically saying what you think you're seeing with your eyes, what you think you heard with your ears, what you are experiencing with your senses doesn't exist. You're delusional. You're crazy. So they attempt to make you question your reality. So they deny things. They accuse you of things. They accuse you of false allegations. They manipulate situations so that you feel like you are losing your mind. They may deny things in text messages, deny things in emails. They deny things directly to your face. I mean, they were literally, you could show them something and they will directly say, no, that is not what it is that you are showing them. You know, you can actually go, well, maybe I'm not seeing this correctly. Even if you are, I mean, they could say something's not blue, even if you're staring at something that's blue. And if you've been dealing with a narcissist long enough, you might go, maybe it's not blue. Maybe I'm seeing part Maybe it's actually red. I mean, you, you'll actually start to question your own reality because that's how crazy you can start to feel. It starts to cause trauma on you physically. So gaslighting is a real thing. It's, it's something that they all do and it can really take its toll on you in, in a number of different ways. And as I said, I don't have enough time here to go into all of the different ways that they use gaslighting, but gaslighting is definitely one of the mind games that they use. Number three is projection. I call it projection and deflection, you know, lying and denying, projection and deflection, but projection is definitely one of the things that they use. Oh my goodness. I had an employee 
one of my paralegals who used to work for me that was a master of projection. Boy, nothing was ever her fault. It was always somebody else's. It was always something else that was going on in her life. Someone else had to take the fall. Someone else had to take the blame for all the different things that went wrong, but it's a defense mechanism that narcissists use to cover up their inadequacies, their irresponsibilities, their wrongdoings. So they project their flaws, their shortcomings, their wrongdoings onto someone else. And most of the time, by the way, it's not the third party, it's you it's good old fashioned you. It can be a form of gaslighting, by the way. So the next one is love bombing. This is one of the first types of mind games that narcissists will play. This is the, you know, your usually your intro to them, you know, unless it's your family member, your parent or something like that. You know, if this is somebody that you met along the way, this is your intro to them, right? This is how you get to know them. This is, you know, sometimes called the idealization phase. Oftentimes it's referred to as the love bomb. Even if it's not a romantic situation, it's still oftentimes referred to as the love bomb. But this is the phase where, you know, you see the charming version, the charismatic charismatic version of that narcissist. And by the way, they whip this version back on out when they need to, when they think that you are on to them, might leave them. If they need to, this comes out with the future fake or whatever. The fabulous version, the perfect version, the one that makes you feel like you are the most special, incredible human being on the planet. They're really good at this version, but you know what they're doing is they're mirroring you. They're reading you. They're looking to see what it is that you want and they're reflecting that back to you. So that's why that version seems so great because that's what's really happening with that love bomb. So it's not really a real version. It's a totally fake version of a person that they ideally think that you want to see. And then they reflect that back to you. So the next one is triangulation. So this is often referred to as the flying monkeys. You know, this is where they line up third parties, covert narcissists are excellent at this, excellent at this. And this is where they get their little friends, their little minions to make it seem like that you are the only one who thinks a certain way and everyone else thinks that, you know, they're wonderful and you are the only one that thinks that they're terrible or whatever. Don't think that there's some kind of healthy relationship going on with these third parties. There's not. It's probably a situation that's very similar to the situation that you have, you know? Many times I used to think that the third parties, these, these flying monkeys were in on it all the time. Many times they're not. They're just part of the narcissist manipulation and they don't even realize it. 
And one of the things that I kind of figured out when I was dealing with the narcissists in my life is stay away from all of them because it's all bad energy. It's all a whole bunch of drama, trauma and chaos that you don't need. And especially if the narcissist has them under their spell in some way, it definitely is not worth it. Especially because narcissists have this tendency to want to pit people against each other. You don't really want to be caught up in that whole situation. I would just stay out of the whole deal myself. I would say, wish them well, but over there, okay? We are working our way through seven mind games that narcissists play that they hope that you don't figure out. Next one is discarding people. Narcissists love to do the discard. And by the way, They discard and then they come. It's sort of like this spongy thing. They discard and then they snap you back in because as soon as you discard, they don't actually want to discard because if there's any supply to be had, they snap you back in. Because they discard you and you go, well, I don't really want to be discarded and you get over it and it's like a horrible, it's painful and it's awful. And then you go, well, all right, let me live my life and I'll deal with it and whatever. And then here they come with their Hoover thing. You don't need it. So, but that's what they do. They discard and then they, they're like sticky fingers back in again, but they discard if there's nothing left. If there's no, there's no more useful purpose. If there's no more juice in that battery, it's super painful and it can be super abrupt and you can leave you feeling very hurt, very confused, very abandoned feeling, very isolated. And it's It's horrible because obviously, you know, you've actually got feelings involved over here, but they don't have that same level of capacity to have those feelings. It can be awful. It's time to move on when you've dealt with that. We've worked our way through six of them. There's one more that I wanted to make sure that you got. This is the biggest one that I see narcissists do. And this is especially prominent in covert narcissists who I think tend to be the worst ones in relationships, the worst ones, because these are the stealthiest types of narcissists. This is the type of narcissist that I had to deal with in two different instances where they targeted me and it's extremely painful. It's extremely toxic. And that is they play the victim. The reason why this is extremely difficult is because the rest of the world may actually see this person as a victim. You know, so this is very different than a grandiose narcissist where, you know, the person is extremely strong, extremely boisterous and bragging, comes along and demands the 
best table in the restaurant or holds court wherever they go. And so people don't feel sorry for that person necessarily. If this is a covert narcissist or a person that's playing the victim and people actually do see this person as a victim and especially as a victim of you and they're going around telling everybody how horrible you were to them, even if you did nothing to them, it's super frustrating at the very least and can be very, very painful and hurtful and harmful at the worst. And narcissists are excellent at playing the victim card. They make people feel guilty, not just you feel guilty, but they make others around them feel guilty or they make others around them think that you should feel guilty or others around them feel sorry for them. And they use this to control people. Then they gain sympathy. There's a huge payoff. They'd rather have the sympathy seen as a victim and get the sympathy than have a relationship, a real relationship with people that they should be wanting to have a relationship with because that payoff is so huge. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring, and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. 
So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.